Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full interview with Bob Stark, where we discuss large language models for treasury requests. Bob Stark is a trailblazer in enterprise liquidity, payments, and risk management. As the driving force behind a multi-product go-to-market strategy, Bob's expertise fuels valuation and growth, whilst also forging a new brand for the future of financial technology. Kiriba is renowned for its treasury management system, a comprehensive solution that offers automated cash management, seamless bank connectivity, strategic liquidity planning, streamlined payments, and efficient working capital features. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is an API and how does it help treasurers, what does calling an API truly mean, what is a large language model for treasury request and how does it work, and much, much more. We were very much looking forward to recording and releasing this episode. Bob is a reference in the world of treasury and quite a podcast enthusiast. But his knowledge in artificial intelligence and the application he sees for treasury left us speechless. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you are thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is a well-run only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. And with all that being said, please welcome Bob Stark. I'm going to call it maturity in our thinking that we're just starting to delve into now. And if I dare say, it's also the fun part <laughs> because that's what is exciting about AI. You know, I, you talk to, I talk to treasurers about data strategy. I want to say 50% is probably more like 30 to 70. A smaller percentage say, oh, that's really exciting. I'm glad you said that because no, you know, no one talks to us about our data strategy. They talk to us about some sort of outcomes. Hey, can you should hedge more? Hey, you should borrow more. Hey, you should you know have more balances or payments through our bank. Like you know these sorts of conversations that treasurers have. But you start talking about data strategy, they start, yeah, I really want to think about that. The others are, I don't want to think about that, but I do want to think about these outcomes. You need to kind of balance of what is it that I should be asking, what is it that I expect, and in I said that in reverse order intentionally. Because you need to start with just like, you know, when you're forecasting, where do I expect to be? What am I trying to accomplish with this? And then work your way backwards and plan into that. This is the same thing is that you need to be able to understand what do I expect AI to do for me? You know, and, and your points around what opinion do I expect? What do I not expect? Like just what is the, what is the net result that's going to be a good thing and a positive use and then figure out what that accumulation of tools, data and collaboration internally to get there is going to be. Awesome. And Bob, on our journey there, on our journey to shooting for the moon and the stars, on our journey to AI, I'd like to touch upon some features that we've seen being developed by Kiriba. And there is a, a large language model for treasury requests using the Kiriba API that came out a few months ago now. There was a, 
a blog post about it and an interesting video or tutorial about it. Maybe before diving into this, um, can you, and in order to make sure that we, Hussam and I and our audience understand everything as well, can you explain as quickly as that's a, a word and an acronym that you use quite a lot, uh, what an API is and how does it help Treasurer? Sure. Yeah, great question on, on APIs. I, I actually really enjoy talking about it because no one talks, I shouldn't say no one talks, but everyone talks about APIs and it's just real time, you know, real time payments or instant payments, things like that. But for our conversation, what an API is, is it's the, I mean, beside the fact it's an application programming interface, but put that aside and say what it, what it means is that it's the ability to transfer data instantly, which is nice, but in and out of the system. So just by saying, oh, it's another way of connecting systems together and be able to interface data on its own doesn't sound a lot different than anything we've seen. I mean, it just sounds like, oh, isn't that what FTP does and file transfer and heck, even copy and paste, <laughs> control C, control V accomplishes that sometimes. But the beauty of the API is that a couple different things. One, just in its true nature, it, it is in more ways than communication. It's programmatic in the sense that you're building to a standard. So it's not like, oh, I'm great. I need to interface these systems during this treasury implementation. It's more like this API exists and this allows us to, in, in advance, build these two uh, or build a connection between these two systems. So I have a connector that's allowed to pull from here, send to here, or vice versa. So what does that mean for treasury? It means a couple of different things. One is that if your platform, and this is more of a Kriba context, if your platform is open, when I say the open API, it basically means that you have published API specifications for all these fields of information within your platform so that someone, whether it's third party, whether it's you as the vendor, um, whether it's another vendor that you want to work with, um, so it could be consultant, it could be vendor, it could be yourselves uh, as a provider, can build a connector to something else. So for example, like if we're talking the banking side, you know, whether it's B of A or Chase or HSBC or so obviously a lot of banks, I'm not going to go name them all to make everyone happy, but you know, all, they all publish, uh, I shouldn't say they all, there's a, there's a percentage of them right now that publish API, which someone like a Kariba can go and connect to. More of them are coming online. And so you know, by the end of 2023, it should be at least 50% higher than it is right now double that for the year after, et cetera. Like this is a good adoption. So they've published an API. We build a connector and it automatically pulls information just like a FTP script did, just like if you were over uh, Swift that same sort of thing. Then that same API concept applies to the ERP. We already connected to the ERPs using file transfer. This allows us to do the same thing, but more in a pre-built and more instant um, and secure basis. So let's just say it's the same thing, but a little bit better. In my opinion, anyway, the real value comes is where we start opening it up to all these other use cases. So when we talked at the start of the conversation about payment journey, being able to add all these different apps, third-party apps that have nothing to do with us, um, maybe nothing to do with a the bank. They're a fintech that came up with a great idea of, I want to provide maybe additional analysis, provide AI. I have a cool little machine learning or uh, generative AI algorithm that's very good that treasurers want. I want to be able to you know, check sanction lists. Whatever it is, the, the scenario, the API allows that third-party, almost the marketplace ecosystem network to build out. 
Then, and this is the part that I think is the even the best of it, which I think is the genesis to your question. In addition to all those use cases, it allows any of your customers, in our case, to build their own script into it or have someone do it for them. But a lot of them, the IT groups, especially the finance IT groups, look at that and say, well, we'd like to you know, upload payments. We want to download cash forecast. We want to build our own data lake. We want to use your API to, let's just say, you know, get stuff into Excel so we can do cool stuff there. I, I just want to make have access to the data in the system that you're providing for me so I can do something with it. And that's, even though it sounds very vague in general, that's the promise what API allows is it it's so there's the pre-built connectors those are really important and they're generally a big improvement over what you saw before but it's the openness that suddenly this platform can be available the data in it specifically to a variety of other systems or use cases uh, and i say use cases like it might be a data lake you know it was difficult like how do i you know, build a data lake well great you can access everything in the Creva platform that allows you to build that data lake and then from that data lake, well, you can do all sorts of fun analytics, uh, cutting and slicing. You can train it for certain uh, use cases for AI. There's a lot of different stuff that you could potentially do on your own now that you have open access to your information. I know when I say open access, it sounds like open banking, but there's a reason why that word is used is because it suddenly allows you more, I was going to say open access, use that word open too many times, but whatever, we'll go with it. It allows you that access of your own information that you can either have something done for you more easily, or you can do it yourself. And there's this element of self-service to manage and utilize and leverage your own data and be able to do more things with it. So to answer your question on APIs, that's, it, it means all of those things. So it's connectivity to banks, connectivity to ERPs connectivity to third-party applications which didn't even exist before apis and now obviously connectivity to your own ecosystem and your own data environment so it's all of those things which why does it matter for ai it goes back to that data strategy you don't have a data strategy until you actually have your data and apis are the critical tech to be able to get to that and then that's why obviously from our whole development then we can you know once we have that then we can start building fun things like integrate generative AI into our applications, um, utilizing APIs, be able to then use an Excel add-in um, that allows you to then just play like, hey, ChatGPT, do something with my data if you want to do those sorts of things. The open API allows you to do those sorts of things. Awesome. And Bob, maybe you already answered it partially, but let's say I'm, I'm a complete newbie in AI, so please break it, break it down for me. If we merge this technology, this tech, the API, with LLM, and let's take the use case of Kiriba for now, how, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is, how it has evolved since? Because it was a few months ago, so maybe it's something completely new and even better now. But like, how do you marry this LLM for treasury requests using the Kiriba API? How does it work? Yeah, it's actually, there's two pieces of this to make it very simple. It's still like a, uh, I would say early days um, because of those restrictions that we talked about. Large language models are still, you know, what we're saying, so we're saying they're either too large or they're not large enough. In the case of treasury data, because treasury data is very sensitive, it's almost too large, too open. So in, in a sandbox environment, 
we can do anything. Um, and I say anything as in you can immediately have that engagement. You know, when we first talked about, oh, what chat GPT is ask it a question, you know, type in your keyboard and then, you know, access by voice. You can do that with your treasury system. You can do that right now. The challenge is, is that many of our customers, as we worked with them, expressed the exact same question that we went through a few moments ago. Do I want my information exposed to this model in its relatively early adoption state? And the consensus was no. So we're not doing that yet. Capabilities there can absolutely do it. You want to throw away your mouse and your keyboard and start talking to your treasury system? Yeah, we could support that today. And that's the kind of thing that you were talking about. APIs allow that to happen. The AI embedded into that environment, it works. Beautiful thing. It's a lot of fun to play with. But in terms of production, production needs more maturity in the technology in terms of the large language model and the security and governance around the data in terms of, do I want, like as an example, do I want to ask the simple question, why was my cash flow variance this high? Or am I going to meet my cash flow targets with the dollar doing what it's doing in the currency markets or the euro doing what it's doing? Like these are the sorts of things with rates, with in some external data, bringing in some internal stuff. Do I want the large language model to have that information? Overwhelmingly, treasurers say, not yet. They're very excited about the automation. Yes, I want to talk to it. I still want to ask it questions. Yes, I don't want to have to click on reports and dashboards and be able to lasso that information, be able to drill down three levels because the CFO is asking something. I'd rather just, hey, CFO, ask the treasury system your question directly and I need an answer. That's what I want as a treasurer. But I'm not quite ready for the exposure of information that is required to allow that to happen. So I've seen some examples in real life where people have built ChatGPT into it. I've also heard from the same people that are exposed to that to say it seemed like a little bit too risky for us. In treasury, we're not in the business of adding risk. You know, not as a vendor, not as a treasury professional. We're not at that point. There's some parts of the organization that absolutely take on risk. Very normal. In treasury, though, we have to, as we know, mitigate risk. You know, like what are the three things we do in treasury, right? We see, right? We want to see everything. We want visibility. We protect <laughs> right up with there. I want to see my forecast, but oh man, I need to protect it. And in fact, most people will kind of put that in reverse order. Protect and then see it which I know is hard because you got to see it first, you know, to protect, but you get the idea. See, protect, grow, which is basically treasury's mandate and CFO's mandate too. protect is right there. We have to be risk mitigators. And so as a result, it as the technology evolves, it won't be long before everyone can have this as a reality as a mainstay, but it's not there yet. And I look forward to that because it's a lot of fun. But you need to have that governance. Governance in treasury is the most paramount thing. I mean, it's why everyone still looks at the SOC 2, type 2, as like the gold standard that every treasury vendor needs to provide because they need to ensure that my entire product, including the AI, is part of this and has been assessed by a third party so that we're not doing anything from an audit control standpoint that is outside of the governance that we have agreed with our auditors 
and our internal IT that we are signing up for. So that's a long answer to your relatively short and really insightful question. But it shows where we are today. The technology, early days, it shows a lot of promise. But there's some challenges that need to be overcome. I mean, we could have swapped this out and talked about cryptocurrency and blockchain. And some of the same things, you know, the general statements we're making, it's got a lot of room to go. There needs to be some governance. There needs to be risk mitigation. I need to ensure that the volatility is not going to affect my liquidity and my ability to, to protect value. Swap in your favorite technology word, AI, blockchain, crypto. It all, almost kind of sounds similar for a reason is because we need to ensure the governance is there. So yes, we're having a great time say that? playing with it. And we love doing that. The AI that we've introduced into our platform is very controlled. And it's also, you know, organically developed by us so that we're in a position where we can provide complete assurance to our clients that there is no risk being added. I don't think there's anything more important than that when you're dealing with, you know, in the real world with customers. When you're playing in a, in a sandbox environment, boy, with all that, but you just need to be mindful of the bigger picture and holistically, what is it that I'm signing up for? I'm a little too young to, to be there for it. Unfortunately, Bob, I'm guessing treasury departments just said the same thing when email came along and they had to stop using uh, paper and hard copies to, to transfer data between themselves and the CFO. It's like, how can I put it on the internet and send it over to the CFO? That's, that's insane. <laughs> I, you know, I love that statement because... There's a certain irony in that is that where it's probably not as much now, but let's say rewind just a handful of years and a lot of the spear phishing fraud and payment fraud attempts. And a lot of them would be you know, started by an email. So there's sort of this irony that, uh, wow, we introduced some risk via email. Now I've never heard a treasurer say, whoa, 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 back to pen and paper and post-it note. But that said, it, it is kind of an interesting analogy where we do need to appreciate and find a way to manage the risk. I mean, if you think of, you know, this goes more to the API point than the AI, but if you think of APIs and say just something as simple as instant payments, you know, which we're seeing all over, you know, we see FedNow and RPT and, or RCP, sorry, in the, in the U.S., we see a variety of networks, PayNow in Singapore, one of my favorite, because it actually links uh, with some, you know, middleware-ish uh, to other regional networks in the region. So suddenly you have a little bit of cross-border instant payments, which makes me super excited. But you look at that real-time journey, you need to ensure that your processes are caught up. And so, you know, I've heard people say real-time payments, real-time fraud. Well, that's really not accurate. But you do need to ensure that if you're adopting instant payments, or you're doing things in real time, that your, your process is also operating at machine speed in real time. This is the same thing. You know, we adapted to email. We figured out, ironically, ChatGPT helps a little bit in this um, or makes it a little bit scarier if you think of more linguistically complex fraudulent schemes um, through that email. Suddenly it's not so hard to see or not so easy to catch anymore. Um, we can use ChatGPT to iron some of those things out. But the same thing goes for any process and any technology we're talking about is if you're going to do things faster, you need to ensure that your protections are in better place. And so I think, you know, that's, I like the email analogy because it, it was fantastic. Yes. Treasury got over it. 
eventually. <laughs> and then they said, well, wait a second. See, I told you so. Look, now we're getting fraud attempts by email. So there's going to be a lot of that back and forth with AI. I think any treasury organization, I know some that, that start to use this, but cautiously, there'll probably be at some point a little bit more adoption there. And then there'll be a little bit of a pullback. Like, well, wait a second. Look, someone, you know, something bad happened. I'm not even hypothesize what that would be. And then we need to retrench and just hold a little bit until we solve that. And then we'll kind of keep going forward. So I, I think if, if I get the, you know, the hidden meaning within your question, which I think is the really important message here is that there is an element of two steps forward, one step back. And anytime you're risk averse, that is going to be the case. I feel like if you're from a vendor perspective, and that's just, that's what we take our responsibility seriously is that we want to ensure that those are two good steps forward and not trying to do it too quickly so that we innovate ahead of the controls and the protection of the data in the process. You have to think that way first, which is less fun, I would agree, but more important when we're talking about something as sensitive as cash, liquidity, and risk management. So my background was in like implementing technology into different businesses, right? Different types of technology. And the technology, the departments where we came in to try and upgrade their systems, help them innovate, help cost save through technology. The ones that were more risk adverse were just inherently further behind uh, in their, let's say, technology maturity. And the ones that were more risky, perhaps they had a few more big collapses every now and then. And there were some big whatevers. But over time, they became much leaner, much faster and became much more efficient in, in a lot of ways and safer eventually also. Treasury being inherently a risk avoidance department within the company, well, do you think it will always be a little bit behind? Well, like, will AI penetrate treasury last in the, in, in the modern company or? It's a good question. It's, I don't know if it'll be last. It won't be first. <laughs> which is maybe maybe the answer you're looking for on that, but it won't be first. I don't think it'd be very last because I can definitely think of some laggards that are more risk averse than treasury, but it's a point that's well taken. I mean, I've been in this space for 25 years and I've seen everything that you just described inside and outside of treasury. It's a perfectly placed observation because you need to have some trailblazing. You need to be able to do, put something a little bit ahead to change. You know, the idea of digital transformation. I don't know sure Treasury still calls it DX. The rest of the company does, but I think Treasury still calls it transformation because it just sounds a little bit more formal that way because they're not necessarily evolved to absolutely go all in on a transformation of process. I mean, I look at something as simple as cash forecasting. I'd say 50% of cash forecasts are probably little changed from what they were a decade or two ago. And forget the two decades ago. Let's just focus on the last 10 years. What's happened in the last 10 years in terms of availability of information, the ability to connect information, the volatility in the market? I mean, all of us have probably seen some of this roller coaster volatility over the years, but there's a lot of people in Treasury that never saw 2008, 2009, and have no concept in terms of the controls, the regulation, the rate rising that we saw in the past 12 months, 
the volatility in the markets. And I know a lot of that's unprecedented. It's been a roller coaster in the past year, but a lot of people have just seen a very flat, constant world in terms of say, how do I manage my cash? You know, banks always lend money. It was pretty cheap and our cost of capital was always low. Now that's not the case. And, you know, we have the Fed telling us still not going to be the case, <laughs> you know, get used to it figuratively. And as a result, these are the sorts of things where there is an element of we can't just do status quo. So I'm not advocating that market volatility and economic uh, you know, trauma are good things, but they do force a little bit different pattern of thinking to your question. And will that unlock a lot of the risk aversion? Not necessarily but it will force a new way of thinking around how to make decisions in treasury. And that new way of thinking is data-driven. Every forward-looking organization, you go to AFP conference, go to your finance, you go to all these particular events, and all the sessions are about how do I inject data into my process? How do I become more data-centric? I mean, these are, you know, they're almost buzzwords that get thrown out, but people are starting to listen to those to then chip away at the legacy way of doing things that you were talking about. So will treasury be first? No, but I think there's as a strategic partner to the CFO, as the team and then individuals, the treasurer that realized I get to answer the question of what happens when our customers stop paying us and say with COVID, you know, three years ago and going back to 2020. Treasury was asking how many days of liquidity, or they were answering, I should say, how many days of liquidity do we have left? Which was asked not by the CFO, sometimes not by the CEO, but sometimes by the board. And so these big questions were being asked, which suddenly put a spotlight on a team that never had a spotlight, that never had a reason to change. All they had, the only time that people noticed them is when something went wrong. And so that's a lot of reinforcement to not change. That's paradigm is shifting. And that culture is shifting. And I see more treasurers that grew up thinking, I don't have to do the things that were done before. To be successful, I need to put my mark of transformation on this entity and organization. So yes, I see a shift, but not a complete abandonment of risk aversion. Risk mitigation will always be there, even when it comes to technology adoption. And that's coming from me on the tech side. So <laughs> my, my wish is that it's a little bit different, but... We'll get there. Bob, thank you so much for that. That makes a lot of sense. When we when we look at most of the surveys um, going out lately, we see that cash flow forecasting in, is one, if not the top priority of the treasurers. And you just mentioned it with the board, with the CFOs, also of the CFOs and even above there. How can we get AI to power cash flow forecasting when we see that that's the top priority of everybody? So. Maybe that's where the innovation should be implemented first. What's your take on that? Yeah, no, I like that. And I like getting back to that because it's uh, it, it's fun to talk about all the, you know, what, what it should be, et cetera. But let's talk practically about, can I, this help me today in treasury? And I think, I feel like the next 12 months look like this for cash forecasting is that there's three things that we need to get better at in forecasting. We need better predictability. We need to be able to generate new information that we may not have today. And then we need automation. It's always automation, right? So we can never have this discussion without the automation. In terms of prediction, here's, here's where we're seeing AI. I want to say right now, but it's also a right now going forward, is the use case is 
I have information right now. I have data that I say I have a forecast. Maybe it's a good forecast. Maybe it's average. Maybe it's exceptional. You ask any treasury professional if their forecast is exceptional, they're going to say yes, just because they want to make sure they don't want to show weakness for good reason. But whatever that, whatever that level of confidence is, there is a confidence interval that you have speaking super data centric when I say that, but you have a confidence interval in your forecast. You want it to be better. And this is where AI can really come back. So we talked much earlier on about what the different ways that we can utilize and learn from our data. Number one is to make that prediction of here's the data I have. Here's the data I need. I want to have a much more like a higher level of confidence in when customers are going to pay us. Going back to that receivables example we talked about a while ago. I want to have a better level of confidence around what cash flow is hitting my account compared to what was actually going to, uh, you know, like my ERP told me. So this is when I say predictability is that I have a set of data. You know, I have amount, I have date, I have other categorization information. I want to improve amount and I want to improve date. So that's predictability. Give me, based on everything you've observed in our payment patterns or receivables patterns or both, whatever category and line item that we're using in our forecast, because each one is going to be treated a little bit differently. Tell me what is this going to look like? Here's the inputs. The inputs just, or an import from my ERP or an import from the regional CFOs around the organization, wherever you got your data, of course, by APIs, because I think we covered that point. And how do I make this data better? So that's predictability. Improve the confidence make better predictions in my existing data. And the key is existing data. Okay. I have something. I just want to make it better, more usable, so I can actually make more refined decisions. Ideally in this sort of higher interest rate environment, those decisions are, I leave less cash in the bank doing very little and I make it more active. Maybe I'm investing in, maybe I'm investing in the organization and not just investing in money market. Maybe I'm doing other things, but the point is, is that having a better understanding of both how much cash do I have right now? How much cash do I have in one week? How much do I have in one month? How much do I expect to have in 12 months? So we can provide better guidance. I need a better forecast. I have data existing. I need to improve it. So that's number one. Number two is a use case that treasury typically struggles a lot with. That's generating new data. As in data we don't have, we're not improving anything because we don't have it. I'd like to use M&A as an example of this. So with mergers and acquisitions, you're acquiring a business or you might be divesting and spinning one off. Either way, there's something that's different than what you had before. You might have some proxies. Let's just say if you were an organization expanding to a new country, you might have countries that share similar characteristics that we can use as a proxy, but it's not going to be exactly the same. Or you might have, I have sales figures, projected sales figures, I don't have cash flow information, but I do have a relationship in other markets or other years where I could look at the correlation between sales information and cash flow information. I have something is the point that I can use to then create a whole new data set of, when we're talking about cash forecasting, expected cash flows. There's other use cases too, expected payables, expected receivables. Uh, how many bank accounts would I need? How many signatories for those bank accounts? You can imagine the world as we get really think about AI can get quite big. But just for the cash forecast, I want to predict how much cash will we generate from this 
M&A, market entry, something that didn't exist before. AI is perfect for this because it allows you to digest multiple sets of information, including correlations, and be able to spit out and generate something new. And this is a starting point. You know, some you asked that great question before about opinions. It's an opinion, quantitative, you know, it's using data, it's empirical, but nonetheless, it's still an opinion of what might happen. You still will want that flexibility to override that and say, excellent starting point. Now we're going to augment it with something else, which is exactly how Treasury behaves right now anyway. Everyone's cash forecast is a combination of different sources of that forecast. AI is not the be-all, end-all. It's a source alongside other sources. But in this case, it's a source that might be actually a really good starting point in certain scenarios. So that's number two. It's, it kind of looks and feels like, hey, I'm just generating more data, etc. But in fact, I'm enriching existing data for better predictive power versus creating new data that I didn't have around so the cash forecast or whatever else. Then the third part, gets back to some of the stuff we talked about before in terms of the automation. How do I, and this is where I love generative AI, how do I automate as much of that as possible? Because anyone that, let's just say, tuned in in the last five minutes of the podcast, and they didn't hear that we were talking about AI, and they just heard talking about, look at all this data, and we're going to predict, we're going to take it from the ERP, and then we're going to augment it. And then for M&A, my goodness, we have correlation between sales and cash flow. And their mind just blew up into many pieces because they thought, how am I going to do that? That's why the automation part is absolutely key. That's what's so interesting, in my opinion anyway, about generative AI is because it offers that us that pathway into much more greater degree of automation. We can basically say, I want to, let's just, you know, let's pretend we're using Excel. So everyone loves spreadsheets, right? I have my data in my treasury management system. I want to extract that into, say, Excel. could be Power BI, could be Google Studio, could be Click. I don't know, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to say Excel for fun. I extract it into Excel, and then I do all my little wizardry, otherwise known as AI, to create new data sets. And then I bring that back into my treasury management system. I want the wizardry, the AI, to be automated, of course. I think we've kind of solved that one. But I also want the extract and the reintegration of that data alongside the other data to be completely automated so I don't have an analyst spending eight, 12 hours of time making maybe mistakes along the way because we know how that works in spreadsheets. I don't want that. I want this to be a complete seamless process. And that's the key that generative AI completes the picture. And we didn't have that promise before. And so I think that's where you know, a lot of us can envision, like five years ago, I could have told you predictability, better predictability. Yeah, and of course, AI is going to do that. I could have probably told you new data sets if we thought about that. Like, yeah, okay, I guess so. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. Seems like a lot of data to massage and, and make work, but okay, I'm with you on the ride. How do I automate all this? Oof, I don't know how that's going to work. We're talking about thousands and maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of records. That sounds very intensive. Sounds like a lot of problems. That's the the full circle. The automation is the absolute key to making this a reality for Treasury. Otherwise, it was just sort of, you know, to your point earlier, it's a bit more fictional. It was a bit more, I see it, but I can't touch it. 
that's where the technology has really evolved in the last 12 months to allow us a window of what the next 12 months looks like. The next 12 months looks like all of this is possible with automation. And then once we solve that governance and data security standpoint, then we're going to feel much more comfortable using these tools. And maybe there's a, you know, this concept of closed language models becomes more of a, a construct or a label. Maybe it's the embedded tools and we're only utilizing our data to train a generative model. Maybe the large language model is large language model within our organization. There's room for that growth that we need to see, but ultimately the tool, the technology allows us to see here's what's possible. And yes, it is actually possible. So it kind of merges the probable and possible so that we see, yeah, sure, that's possible. There's a star up there and I can see it. Someday I'll be able to touch it maybe, but it actually brings our probable and possible a little bit closer together when it comes to AI. And again, do you really draw the limitation at the the final phase of needing a human eye? So with all that said, one thing you never said was, do you think AI will ever get to that stage where a human would need to do that? I think the answer is yes for everywhere. And I hate to say that because everyone listening thinking, oh, come on, just say no. Say, say the people are needed always, forever. <laughs> you know, we, we have a career path to think about. Um <laughs> I, I certainly, like this goes to any level of automation. It's not a uniquely AI answer. Is that AI, like any productivity tool, is that there's certain things that we do right now that are too manual, that take too long, that can be augmented and improved. And so this is no different. For a period of time, probably, I hate to say it, I could date myself really easily on this one, and suddenly, you know, the shelf life of our conversation is, you know, 12 months because all the assumptions change. But you could foresee for the next five to 10 years that treasury is highly involved in the input, the creation of the process, and the review and integration of the output. Doesn't mean that the manual parts can happen. Like everything I described in terms of basically identifying the data, extracting it, doing things with it, we'll call it wizardry for fun, and then reintegration of that. All of that can be automated with Treasury still very involved in assessing, does this make sense? So for the foreseeable future, and this is where I qualify it, asterisk, foreseeable, because that may not be as long as we think, but for the foreseeable future, Treasury and in its entirety still has a significant role to play to ensure that the data influence is helping make better decisions. At some point, people will become intermediated. And as a result, we will probably see a lesser treasury team at some point in the future. I don't envision that's in the 2020s. I figure that it's beyond that. Um, probably right around the same time that we don't need to actually drive our car. I mean, because we all kind of look at that, right? Like we all have our kids thinking, hmm, well, they won't, they need a driver's license. Well, you know, some of these same levels of thinking need to apply into the financial enterprise software world and the treasury world as well. At some point, we won't need to, I know that, that this is a rewind example. At some point, we won't need to log into our bank portals to see how much money is in our bank accounts. Shocker. Well, that happened. 
Treasury still had a job. In fact, Treasury arguably is even more strategic to the business now than they were then. Every time that automation comes, it takes something away, but then it adds a new level of analysis. That analysis phase will, for the foreseeable future, always be there. At some point, AI will probably develop or it'll blow up into pieces and never develop that way. But something will happen that will answer that question of, can AI be also the analytical resource? Can AI do the decisions and we just set the boundaries and the guardrails and allow AI to do everything within those guardrails? It's either going to happen or, as I said, it's going to blow up into a million pieces and then we're going to realize, oh, we should never have trusted it to anything close to that. I kind of think it's a, it's a continual automating of the roles and a continual, uh, I'll just say more greater experience, greater intelligence, greater EQ, treasury responsibilities will be the outcome of that, just like it has been over the last two decades. I could be proven wrong. As I said, we might find out in six months that shelf life for that statement is just <laughs> completely over. But I do feel like we've seen what productivity looks like. We have a template for that. We've seen what automation of connectivity and sharing between systems looks like. We can envision what better sharing of information looks like. APIs are much more, not completely, but much more adopted than they were even three years ago. Hasn't changed tremendously, except that it improves the availability of data and transfer between systems and the speeds up some of the processing. What it doesn't do is take people out of their jobs. It just repositions them. So I feel somewhat safe that that's the right answer. Hoping that I don't get too much flack for say at some point <laughs> we're going to be much more disintermediated, but that's not going to be unique to treasury. Treasury is not like there's other jobs that change well before treasury does. You know, bus drivers probably have more to worry about than treasury uh, professionals that are trying to understand, should I, shouldn't I do this to protect my cash? Super interesting. So bring us back to then the medium phase, right? Like the treasury professional today, that's perhaps looking at their next, be optimistic in five to 10 years uh, on, on the shelf life of their job being AI integrated into their workflow. And we're going to see more and more of that, right? And Kariba is, is already doing a lot in that in that vein specifically. How is Kariba guiding its clients towards integrating AI into the workflow processes? Like, can you provide examples of where AI integration has helped treasury operations already or use cases that you see like in the immediate future that are going to become a reality in your plan? Yeah, absolutely. And it's everything that we focus on and that we communicate to our customers and even those that haven't been customers, but we hope might become one. It, it is all focused on supporting their data strategy. And I know I've used those words before. It's APIs, AI, analytics, typically in that order, because we need to bring data together for them. We need to have AI to be augmented in a variety of processes, which I'll get into in a little bit. And then it, analytics is that key, which is still, we can provide much more insight and intelligence about what AI-driven and generated data alongside other sources means and what we do with it. So it kind of provides that actionability, if you will, which is so missing in Treasurer's lives today. So we emphasize a lot 
but it's a data strategy and it's making that data strategy actionable. And so your treasury platform should be, you know, it should be doing all of that for you. You should, it should be providing the APIs. It should provide the AI either through an API because there's a great app out there that really helps and, and customers want to have, or just embedded in part of, you know, the organic development of the platform. And then the analytics to support that so that you can understand, you know, to the point of what we need treasury to do, we need it to analyze the opinions that are provided by AI alongside other, um, other predictive technologies. So what we're doing in terms of AI specifically is the two use cases that treasury cares about the most cash forecasting. Cause we talked about that a few times. That's critical. Everything I talked about, that's either there or it needs, it's like it's there imminently because predictive power generation of new data, and then the automation to ensure that that is implementable. Oh, not a great word. I know you came from the implementation side. Can't believe they created a word just around implementation, but implementable, um, but it's realizable. And so making that is available to every customer that wants that is our immediate path. And that's what we tell people is that if you want AI, we're going to provide that in a safe environment, secure, governed. We're not going to inject technology that is not net the internal controls and internal governance of your IT team, as well as ours. So we obviously make sure anything we do, even if it's connectivity, is productized. And it's within our SOC 2 type 2 because we need, we know that everyone needs that level of governance. AI is no different. So cash forecasting, do that. Payment fraud, payment detection, absolutely do that. Get into the area of providing more analytics, like what does this mean? Again, AI plays a role in that, serving up the analysis so that you can go, here's what this means. Here's the impact of hedging, let's just say, the Swiss franc on my euro exposures. What is my, how does it affect my parametric VAR? What does this mean in terms of my cost of hedging? And utilizing AI to help do some of the automation, going back to that part, of making sense of all this information. So it's in every use case, we can imagine all sorts of them. Generation of data, predictability of data, automation of all that together so you have the analysis in your hand. And that's that's our mantra and mission around AI as part of the data strategy. And so that mission could exist if AI wasn't there. You could There's some things that are programmatic and rules-based as well. Our mission doesn't change. We're supporting your data strategy and we're injecting the tools that you need securely to be able to support that mission.